Well, I've had a little health issues. We've got a lot of health issues around the church. How many of you got health issues? Raise your hand. God bless you. How many of you still alive? Amen. <laughs> so, anyhow, I'm having difficulty speaking, uh, and uh, sometimes I sound like a whisper. Anyhow, just pray for me. But I asked a friend of ours in church, he's been coming with Miss Lynn for quite a while, uh, to speak for us tonight. We talked several times. And uh, John said, preacher, rascal about whether I should be a preacher or not. He thought about that several times in his life. I just asked him to come tonight and share his heart with us for a few minutes and just speak to us. John is a special guy, a loving guy, and I'm glad he's with, with us tonight. John, come on up here, buddy. This water, you can use it if you want to. I've not drank out of it. And uh, it's just for you. Because you know, sometimes when you speak, you get a little nervous. Uh, he's not nervous at all. I probably not. John Haynes. God bless you, buddy. Love you. Love you too, bro. Pray for you. Well, preacher, I want to say thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, it's very just amazing and God-glorifying. I can't thank you enough. And it's all for His glory, Amen. not of my own. And I just want to summarize a little bit and then get to the main juicy part of my testimony. So I was born and raised in church. And... Um, it really hit me in high school, uh, freshman year. I just felt convicted, and then I repented, and then I was strong. I preached a few times, and I was like, this is right, but nobody was going to the altar or anything. I'm like, man, what is wrong with me, bro? And then I just, I didn't realize it until later, but then I had a, a, a health issue where my right side of my body went numb, and I was like, oh, man, this is not good. I told my mother. She called a brain surgeon, and we went in, and they said, all right, this is serious. You've got to have this done. So two days before my birthday, I had brain surgery. And um, they told me till this day the feeling may never come back, and it hasn't yet. But that's all right because Job suffered. So he gives us a limp sometimes to glorify him, and I'm not complaining one bit. And... Um, and then I was wrestling with, well, why is nobody convicted of my preaching? And I didn't get that answer until later. And then after senior year hits, I strayed away. I took a hard right turn. Shouldn't have done that, but I did. And then I got a job working at Walmart. I was the angriest, grumpiest human being you'd ever meet. If you saw me at Walmart, you probably would have heard a choice word or two from me, and you wouldn't have liked it. But I understand now, and I see why the Lord took me down that path. I don't I didn't understand at the moment, but I do now and well, one of our managers left work and I was like, "Okay, well, you were pretty cool." And he said, "Well, I wanted you to work with me and now you get the chance. Come join me at the new job." I was like, "Okay." So then I, I go for an interview and there I see Mr. Curtis taking up the flag. I didn't know him yet, but I now I know him now, but then I accepted the job. I said, "All right, weekends off, same pay, closer to home. It's it's a done deal." Well, little did I know that God was the one that put that job offer out for me. It wasn't my boss. God was just using him as an instrument to draw me to himself. And then I met that beautiful lady right there. And the second I saw her, I was like, oh, man, I got to get to know her. And then she gave me a gospel tract. And then right there, it just all hit me. It says, and you have in that gospel tract, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the power unto salvation. And right then, that's what made me realize why nobody was being convicted in my preaching. There was no gospel. 
There was no appreciation and declaration of it and preaching of it. It was just, you know, just some rambling stuff. I mean, that's what it was. And then, now I live by that verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here I am now, just a leader at work and everywhere I am, just a follower of Christ and imaging him as best as I can. And I want to close with two points to that verse. It's, it's just amazing. His first point is that the gospel's for everyone. It don't matter what you look like. It don't matter what you talk like or look like or what you do, what you don't do. That don't matter. It's for you. And then it says, it's the power. The only thing that can save you is the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If his blood isn't on your window over your house and your heart, like the lamb for Passover, you're not covered. So if you weren't saved tonight, I just want to say, just, just put the blood on you, and you'll be saved. The first sermon I preached was five minutes long uh, years ago, and, uh, you know, testifying gives you a break of getting before people and pray for Brother John in special prayer. He just wrestled with the, the will of God for his life. God leads him along step by step and trust him, showing exactly what he ought to do with his life. And wonderful, wonderful. Open your Bible with the book of Luke chapter 4, and I'll whisper to you a little bit, and we'll go to the house. I was eating somewhere today, and I was checking out, and she said, you want to leave a tip uh, on that? I didn't hear her. And so then I said, she said, sir, do you want to leave a tip? Uh, I thought she was trying to make me do it. And I, but I told her two or three times what the tip was. She couldn't hear me. And I, I, and I thought I was talking loud. And she, she said, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't hear what you said. I said, $3,000. Uh, but anyhow, sometimes it's embarrassing. You can stand together to find if you want to for the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 4. We've been talking about this for a while. And uh, I'm going to read it again. And then I'm going to talk to you about the verse in detail what we're supposed to be doing, who we're supposed to be going after. John said, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, power of God and salvation. And who are we supposed to go after? I mean, we talked about everybody. That's true. But Luke 4, 4 breaks it down into categories of who we're supposed to go after. And uh, let's read it together. Chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recurring of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture, O Testament Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, and thank God for that. Father, thank you for Brother John coming just to read a passage 
and getting his testimony about getting right with God. And Lord, we're glad for the grace of God that's for everybody. We all can get in on it. We all, all can be participators. We don't have to be left behind or left out. I'm glad, Lord, there is a wonderful promise in the Bible that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, you cannot lie, and we're grateful for that. And we're glad, Lord, that folks can come and hear the gospel, but we need to go after them by the highways and the hedges, and they're here, they're there, they're everywhere, just to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to have that kind of concern. We may not see everybody saved immediately, but Lord, we can share the gospel, and that power begins to work in their life. So we pray, Father, that we'll not be ashamed of Jesus. You weren't ashamed of us on the cross of Calvary when you bled and died for us. And through all the pain and the agony and the, the ridicule and the mockery and laughing and practically start naked there before everybody, the curse and the shame, and you hung there for us. So, God, we thank you for that. May you help us tonight to do your will. Help us never to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation. And thank God for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. May be seated. Well, we are to be like him, first of all, the pattern we talked about. We were to be like him and what he was, review. He was the Son of God. Say that with me, please. He was what? I'm supposed to be a Son of God. He is the Son of God. I'm supposed to be a Son of God. I just want to say it on purpose. I'm glad to be in the family tonight. And he's my Savior. He's my elder brother. He's my Father. He's my Lord. He's, he's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm glad I can be a part of that. So... I'm supposed to be like him what he was. Three times the personal pronoun is me is given in this passage. And he's to be the holy son of God. He's to be what? And then number two, we're to be like him in what he did. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, he went about around doing good. He just did good. He was God. He could do good. And he was a blessing to people. For about three and a half years, we know he had a ministry that we often talk about. And then it was crucified. And he had a ministry before that. Uh, no doubt coming up as a young man. Can you imagine a young man who never cursed, a young man who never lied, a young man who never sinned one time? It just seems impossible, and it is, except with God. And Jesus Christ was the perfect son of God. He never sinned one time. How would you like to have that kind of child? Oh, that would be amazing, especially when we reach teenage years. And at 12 years of age, he was confounding the wise, the wise people of his day. So we say, when well, he was God. Yes, he was, but he was glorious God-man. He was just as much as he was, he was God fully, and he was fully man. Now, you can't explain that, and I can't either. He was fully God, and he was fully man. He was totally God, he was totally man. Wow, what a great, great doctrine of truth. We talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But here is God's Son becoming man by the vehicle of the Virgin Mary, living in this world, living in a body like we have, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, ministering for three and a half years roughly there in that area of the Galilee Sea and the Jordan River, probably about a 200-mile stretch, was about as far as he ever went in his lifetime. Can you imagine? He never traveled far, never had an army, never wrote, never, never wrote a book, never did a lot of things that we think we got to have today, but he did touch the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning, thinking more about it. When he cried, it's finished. He bowed his head upon a pulseless chest, and he cried, it's finished. And the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. 
and making a way for everybody, Jew, Gentile, it didn't matter, could come to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and could be saved and praise the Lord for that. And so he went around doing good. He volunteered to help a lot of people. He had a lot of compassion. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Sometimes I want to look at my life and say, Lord, look at me pretty close. Do I have compassion? Do I? Or is it just a routine we go through? And, well, God bless you. The big debate about uh, a lot of things about between empathy and sympathy. I can say I'm sorry for you, and that's one thing, but to know that I can feel your pain means a lot because we got to empathize with people, uh, and sometimes they don't think we care. Someone said it well, nobody cares what you know until they know you care. When's the last person you've told you loved them outside of your family? It ought to become routine for us to tell folk we love them if we talk to them. Oh, God bless you. may not know you very well, but I love you. be praying for you. There's some powerful words in saying to people, I love you. And sometimes the most staunch, uh, staunch enemy you may have who may uh, ridicule you, mock you, make fun of you, and tell you to get out of your face. Sometimes when you tell him you love him, it may break him down more than we realize. That somebody said to me, I love you. And to be able to say that, Jesus said it. And we know it's written in red on the cross of Calvary that the Lord Jesus said, I love you. The whole book of the Bible is a book of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And there's a scarlet thread that weaves all the way through the Bible telling us what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus, what can make the vile sinner whole again. Jesus said his blood. Uh, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And that's it's a bloody book. You take the blood out of the Bible, you have no Bible. And you have hope with the blood. And Jesus went about doing good. And be thirdly, be like him, what he said. And we talked about he spoke the words of the Father. And we left off talking about, oh, be careful, old tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little Father, what you say, little tongue, what you say. Be kind one to another. Say good words to one another. And so often we are not doing that. And I, and I it's true in my life, it's true in your life. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost of God, you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, patience, and so forth. Against such there is no law in Galatians. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit is knowing He's in us. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Amen. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? How do you know He's there? Well, number one, the Bible says so. But as many as received Him, give you them power to become the sons of God. And the power of God's on us. He also talked about our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost of God. So inside of my body, I cannot see Him physically. And sometimes I cannot feel Him, but I know He's there. Praise God the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of us. Praise God that God lives inside of us. Praise God that the Holy Ghost of God, when Jesus went back to heaven, came on the day of Pentecost and filled those believers. And from that point on, Everybody who gets saved has the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, someone was talking to me this week about, uh, uh, we were talking to Tommy and I last night on visitation, or Tuesday, when, well, when, Tuesday, last night. Is that Tuesday? Yeah, last night. And he said he was raised Pentecostal, and I said, last night I was raised Baptist. And I said, uh, I had to be saved even though I was a Baptist. I said, you saved because you speak. He said, I've been saved. He said, I know I've been saved. But he said, I never did get to the place where I could speak in tongues. He says, I just never reached that plateau. And I said, well, I'm glad God loves us regardless 
uh, whether you can speak in tongues or not is a different issue. You know Baptists and Pentecostals are different. I don't believe that the way you believe. You don't believe the way I believe probably. But the bottom line is, are you right with God right now? And it's sort of implied I had to have the gift of the Holy Ghost to speak in an unknown tongue. I've told you before about my preacher friend in town. He's dead now. We were good friends. As a matter of fact, he pastored a church of God over on Lane Street years ago. And we got acquainted, and I go by, and it was back in the early days of printing things, and it was getting past the mimograph and going to copiers, and I thought that was a cool thing to have one of those. So we chatted a while, and he said, James, he said, here's your problem. You got the cake, but you don't have the icing. He said, if you just get the icing, you'd speak in tongues. And I called him by name. I said, listen, I can't control the one I got, but let's try and try seek another one. If I thought God really wanted me to have the gift of tongues, I'd seek after that. But the only reason that God gave the gift of tongues was to propagate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he didn't do anything to make me feel good. As a matter of fact, God can seem a million miles away, but he's still there. Well, how do you know? Because he said he is. said he was. And we live by the promises of God, not by explanations. I can't explain all the things that's happened in my life, and neither can you except when you bring God into the equation and the promises of God are real and lasting forever, and I'm glad they are. Anyhow, uh, I, I think I got the whole bottle, bottle of wax. That's not a good way to describe God, don't guess, but I got it all when I got saved. I got my sins forgiven. I got my name put in the book of life. I got the Holy Spirit living inside of me until I die, and all of my sins are covered, past, present, and future. All of them. All my sins are covered. Somebody says, Preacher, that seems odd. Now, you may hinder your fellowship with sin, but you can't hinder your relationship if you've been saved. They've been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all the past sins of my life are under the blood. All the sins I'm committing now, which I regret that I do from time to time, I wish I didn't. One of the ways you know you're saved is when you really regret sinning against God. If you just keep on sinning, it don't bother you no more, and sort of just that's part of your nature. It could be your sin nature is coming out. And you're not saved, don't have a godly nature. I mean, we may slip up and we may fail along the way, but a person who just constantly just lives an ungodly life and, and no remorse, uh, he may not show it altogether, but he's got to have some remorse in his life uh, when you sin against God. Why? Because the Holy God is on the inside of us, and the Holy God is to help us to be convicted and to teach us the ways that the words of Christ. And Jesus said, He would teach you all things that I and listen to what he has to say to you. He's the master teacher. He's the comforter, but he's the convictor of your life. I'm glad he lives inside of me. I, I was reading a scripture this morning, and it says, Fear the Lord all day long. I never read it before. Fear the Lord all the day long. So uh, going, driving around, walking around, it just popped in. Are you fearing the Lord? Are you reverence the Lord? Fear the Lord all day long. And so if we get up tomorrow and think about the same passage, fear God means to reverence God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a good God. He loves us dearly, but He wants us to reverence Him. And I don't think sometimes we're too flippant about our relationship with God. He's not Santa Claus upstairs with a big long beard and trying to give His kids gifts or not takes. If you've been naughty or nice, He's going to take your gifts away. You're not going to get them. Well, how sad to have a God like that and to have a God that claims to be everywhere. He can't even get to my house on Christmas Day. He's overseas somewhere flying around giving gifts over there. 
But the fact is, he's not everywhere. Santa Claus, uh, it's not a sermon I want to preach, but I, I have preached it, the comparison between God and Santa Claus. There's a big difference between the two. And Santa Claus says a lot of things, and I know we use him as a figment of our imagination, and I realize the, the, the fact he's been around a long time, the spirit of giving and all that. But don't make Santa Claus God because he's not God. Tallulah Bankhead, anybody remember that name? Tallulah Bankhead, raise your hand. One, two, three, four. John Orwell? Tallulah. Tallulah Bankhead was an actress, and she, she called him the daddy upstairs. That my daddy, the daddy, the good man upstairs, or my, the man upstairs, and all the time when referring to God, and I, that always bothered me as I got to growing in the grace. He's not the man upstairs; he's the glorious God, the man upstairs. And I don't want to just call him my daddy or my my. Uh, what was I talking about? The God upstairs, the man, good old, good old God. He's just good old God. That's what he is. A lot of folks say they believe in God and say they know God, but their life don't radiate what God is in, the, in their life. And so God left us a testimony of how he did it and what he did. Here's our program, and I'll not labor, but just about 10 minutes and I'll be through. He is our program of service for service. I said he's a pattern, what he was, what he did, where he went. All that was a pattern for us to follow. Me, me, me. The Spirit of God is upon me. Because he had anointed me to preach the gospel too. Then he comes down to the program of service. Who's supposed to be affected by our life? When we get to heaven, will anybody be there because we told them? Now, we don't get all the rewards. Somebody might have told them also more than we did. But what will you, what will you do or what will I do when I get to heaven? Will I have any rewards? Will I have any crowns, stars in my crown? Will I have anything that I can give to God? on that great day of crowning him King of kings and Lord of lords. Empty-handed, we sing the song, Will I go on empty-handed? What are we supposed to do with our life after we're saved? We're supposed to be involved in the program of God. He said to the apostles, go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, and the power of God will come upon you and you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And so the program is for us to fulfill. He could not be everywhere at the same time because he was limited by body. And when he defied the laws of gravitation on the Mount of Olives, Mount of, uh, what was the mountain where he went back to heaven on? What Mount of Olives was it? When he, had, when he was on the mountainside, before he went back to heaven, he defied the laws of gravity. He just went back up to heaven, and uh, he said, I want you to go. He could not be everywhere, so then he gave the Holy Spirit of God the inside. So everywhere we go, Jesus goes. Every, he could not go everywhere, but he wanted to go everywhere, but he couldn't go everywhere because he's limited by a body now that he'll have forever. But he sent the Holy Ghost to dwell in us so the gospel can go everywhere. So no matter where it is, once he went back to heaven, he gave the great commission to his 11 disciples uh, on the mountain. What is the mountain called? Brandon, you're a Bible scholar. What's the mountain? Mount of Olives? Or he ascended back to heaven? Yeah. It seemed like there's another name there somewhere I'm missing or something. But anyhow, he went, just in case I, I get sidetracked, he went back to heaven.
Okay. The bottom line, he's in heaven. Thank God he went back to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of majesty, the right hand of the Father, and he ever liveth to make intercessions for us. And I'm grateful for that. So who am I supposed to go to? The good news, that's what the gospel is. Appreciate the introduction from John. The introduction of the gospel, and the gospel is good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel is what? For it is the what? Power of God unto what? Unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek, the Gentile. It's available for everybody. The whole book of Romans divides the Jewish and the Gentile and brings them together in one in Christ Jesus. There's no substitute for preaching. His program is preaching the gospel. And everybody's a preacher. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel, the glorious gospel. Now, whether you want to admit it or not, you've got pretty feet. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because you're doing something that's great for God and you're doing the will of God and I should be doing the will of God and preaching the word of God is not just from a pulpit. It's preaching it by our lives and by our lips regularly. So who did he preach to? And I'll give, there's one, two, three, four, five. I'll just read these to us and then we'll have prayer. The bankrupt. He said, preach the gospel to the poor. That's what the first one says. To the poor. I don't know what all that means, but could it be little boys with threadbare pants? Of course, that may be in style today. It wasn't in style when I was a kid. You were poor when your pants had holes in them. Now you're rich. Now you buy pants with holes already in them. Crazy. It's crazy. Pay $100 for a pair of pants. Already got holes for some kind of other color on them. We live in a, no, no, well, we do, a stupid generation. They get it all messed up. All right. It could be the homeless. I mean, there's some poor people around. Now, I know we're not, we know the whole debate about all the immigrants coming to our town or coming to our country, and I realize they ought to be here legally. But they still are a soul for whom Jesus died. It could be that we could win a homeless guy and get him out of a homeless situation. Only God in heaven could do all that. But it is a mess. But everybody's precious to God. And so he has, not, has nothing. They're very poor. Let me ask the question. Anybody in this room raised poor? I mean, you, you was raised poor. Raise your hand. Okay. How poor were you? Real poor, Miss Farr? Well, I didn't know I was You didn't know? <laughs> Yeah, that's the same way with us. We didn't realize we were poor until somebody told us we were poor. But, you know, poverty line sometimes varies with people. But sometimes trying to eke out a living, living from day to day or week to week or month to month at the best, just trying to survive in life. And Jesus loves poor people. Somebody said, why? He made a lot of them. There's a lot of poor people around the world. And God loves every one of them. The rich and the poor alike, he's not a respecter of persons. He loves the rich man, all God's people said. And he loves the poor man. And all those terms are relative. How rich you got to be to be rich. How poor do you have to be to be poor. But he became poor. The Bible says Jesus did. He became poor that through his poverty we might be made rich. And we're talking about riches that are given to us in Ephesians and other books in the Bible that are un, unsurpassed. Miraculous. Number two, he said the broken hearted. Those that have a broken heel, the broken hearted. Boy, so many broken-hearted people. I mean, whatever situation you want to you want to put there. Joseph Parker, an old preacher, said, preach to every pew because there's one person probably broken-hearted in that pew. And even to the empty pews that, that somebody has said him before, there's always people coming to church and always should be and will be 
it may be us, maybe others, brokenhearted. But especially a person that does not, does not know Christ, it could be the widows, it could be cancer victims, it could be somebody who lost a baby, it could be somebody with parents with rebellious teens. You can make a whole list of brokenhearted people that come to church regularly, and we are unaware. And even after saved, they're still brokenhearted. There's a work to do for salvation, and there's a work to do after salvation. But as you give in the program, we are to go after the poor people, go out on the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. In Luke 14, go tell them. Tell them I love them. I'm prepared a banquet for them. And they're invited to come. Go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. If all possible, twist their arm a little bit to get them to come to the, to the banquet. And the Lord loves them. The brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives. And so those that are bound, you got those that are bankrupt, you got those that are brokenhearted, and you got those that are bound. Deliverance to the captives. Remember the woman that was bowed over for so many years in Luke 13? Satan had bound her with a spirit of infirmity. I know God doesn't raise everybody up straight to walk straight. I understand that. But he did this lady. The, the devil himself had caused the problem in her life. Somebody says, who sins sickness? Well, the devil does his share, and God allows it. The devil Job, I mean, it was, it was God who said, don't touch his life, but you can do anything else you want to. I mean, I can't figure that out altogether. But, and, and see, the book of Job is not about suffering. Even though we all identified, John mentioned a while ago, all of us suffer from time to time. And how many sermons I've preached on suffering. It is about trusting God when you do suffer. He trusts God regardless. And he said, the good Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, and Job sinned not. Even though we went through some times of discouraging and some times of wondering why God was doing it. Can you imagine having all that happened to Job? Uh, ten kids dying, all the crops destroyed, all the cattle, the oxen, the camels gone, everything they had. He went from the richest man of the day to sitting in the in the in the, in the garbage camp of humanity, scraping himself with a piece of broken clay, and wondering his wife turned her back on him. Don't be too hard on Mrs. Joe. I mean, you lose ten kids at one time. How would you do it? Sometimes a man may try to be tough, but a woman who carried those babies in her own loins and brought forth those children in the world, and she said, just curse God and die. That that hurts when you, everybody else, everything else is gone. Then when your wife loses faith, that's not good either, or husband, whichever the case may be. But the fact is, the brokenhearted, the bound, the deliverance to those that are captives. Uh, John eight thirty six talks about, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And Jesus is able to break the bondage of sin. I have a couple of illustrations down. I'll not labor them tonight. But uh, there one that was called in homosexuality many years ago. So homosexuality has been around a long time. It just came out of the closet in recent years and spread its filth everywhere. But never will forget the, the young man's name, and I won't use it tonight. I won't, and somebody know who I'm talking about. But I know what he said. It was April Fool's Day. He came to the altar. He was 20-some years old. I got down to pray with him, and he looked at me, and he said, Preacher, I've been a pervert since I was 12 years old. And he had been, and did. And God broke the shackles of his life. He later got married, had two kids. But for quite a while, he was living in that lifestyle, coming out of that lifestyle of homosexuality. I'm glad God can break the bondage of sin, and those could be delivered from anything. 
God's able to deliver us from anything and everything. And may God help us to realize that recovering of sight to the blind. So the bankrupt is the poor, the brokenhearted to heal the brokenhearted, uh, the bound, those delivered to the captives, you're free. And know that if you know him, you're free indeed. Not only free, you're free indeed. The blind, recovering sight to the blind. By nature, uh, this world is blinded by the prince of the power of this air. The God of this world has blinded us. How sad that is. By religion, prejudice, all kinds of things blind people. Uh, I was reading one article a while ago. 120 Christians were chased by, I think it was in um, one of the Arab countries, or the Indian, Indian, maybe Indian countries. And uh, they were chasing the Christians. They hated them. And they were crying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And beating them while they'd run them out of town. 120 Christians at one time. Uh, they're being persecuted all over the world. And Christianity is becoming a problem in America for people. Uh, they can't handle it because it goes against their lifestyle. When you talk about Christ will set you free and the gospel is the good news, they don't want to hear that because they, it cramps them. Because they love the world, love not the world, neither things of the world. Uh, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And they like that. They don't like to be broken by that because they know if they get saved, the gospel will set them free. They may know that headwise, but they don't want to admit it. So the blind. And then the last one is the bruised, to set at liberty those that are bruised. These are people that I think are special objects of Satan's attack. Now, just be honest, there's some people who are attacked more than others. There's some people just special attacks of the devil. And uh, there's marks of sin upon their body. The man of Gadaria could be a good illustration of a man who lived in the, in the tombs. He cut himself. He was a wild man and wouldn't stay clothed, running naked in the tombs, screaming, hollering, and his life was in disarray. But thank God he met Jesus Christ. And when he met Jesus Christ, and you read that scripture, he was clothed and sitting at his feet, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's an amazing story. I mean, he had enough demons in him, what was 2,000 demons? And they all went down to the hill to the pigs and committed suicide. If you raise pigs, you know what that word means. They stumbled, went over the top of the hill and committed suicide, all of them. And see, demons got to dwell somewhere. Poor old pigs had to suffer for the cause of the Gadarean maniac. I like that song. I think the Gaithers wrote it about, uh, you know, you got a brand new daddy now. You imagine coming home, you've been in the tombs for weeks or maybe months, and the whole neighborhood was scared of you and screamed and hollered like a wild man and just blood-curdling voices, demonic power upon his life. It's one thing to have one demon, another thing to have 2,000. It's one thing to have one demon and be like Mary Magdalene who had seven I mean, I don't know how much power one demon has, but they have a lot of power. Can you imagine seven or two thousand drive you literally crazy with their demon, demon, demonic powers? But once the, the deliverance came, and you know what the man wanted to do as soon as he got right with God? He wanted to go with Jesus. He said, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, just go home and tell your friends, like the woman at the well, what God's done for you. Just tell the folks what the Lord's done for you. But anyhow, not through. He went home, coming maybe in the early morning, and he came down the little dusty lane where he lived. And uh, his wife looked out the window and said, Oh no, here he comes. Kids, get over here. 
get over here and hide. And he come and he didn't force the door down, just just softly and tenderly knocks on the door. And she opened the door and he said, if we could just add to the story, honey, can I come home? You got a brand new husband. The kids got a brand new daddy because I met Jesus Christ and he has set me free. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. Thanks be unto God for the wonderful program we have to reach all kind of people. And you were in there one time. And still, as a Christian, we go through troubles and trials. And the Lord said, I'll never leave you to forsake you. I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of this world. Let's stand together, please, for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. Thank you, John, for sharing that scripture that really introduced what I want to say eventually. Yeah, you could have preached longer now. You didn't have to quit so quick. Next time you speak, it's got to be 30 minutes. 29, maybe. Yeah, amen. Maybe you're here tonight, you just got a burden. I think all of us should carry a burden with folks around us, people we love, people we care about. An altar is a good place to come and pray. Just leave it there, bring your burdens to the Lord. And you may have to carry it back with you, but you can at least bring it to Him. And He's the great burden bearer. And He'll bear, he'll bear, your, bear your burdens with you. Makes a tremendous difference. If you need to come for any reason, when we sing tonight, you come and do business with God. Father, take the brokenness and the frailty of human language. Thank you, Father, for the privilege just to read the Holy Scriptures tonight. I realize I do injustice almost to them, not being able to speak distinctly and clearly. And Lord, I pray that you'll take my inability and the Word of God is probability and possibility. And the Word of God can handle things that nobody else can handle. I pray, God, you'll speak to hearts tonight. Help folks to come. We all got needs. Lord, if we can come and sit or stand or at least bow where we're at and pray for those things in our heart and cry out to God in prayer as we sing together.